Would you pray with me again as we just come to the word this morning? Lord Jesus, we have invited you in every way I know how this morning. We are desperate for your presence. We are desperate for you to speak to our hearts. Lord, if all that happens here today as we sing some songs and I share some thoughts, we have wasted our morning. We are desperate for you. God, I think of the promise from Jeremiah 29, 13 that says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. May we be a people seeking you with all of our heart here this morning. And may you fulfill your promise that we would find you. Move, we pray, Lord Jesus. May I decrease and you increase this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been working through the book of Mark at a breakneck pace. Uh, I think we're going about like a chapter a month. Uh, so we'll be done by the time I'm 60. I don't know how old you will be at that point. Uh, but last week, uh, we were working through, uh, we started in Mark chapter 4, verse, verse 1, and we were working through the parable of the sower. Uh, and I'll give a quick recap on the parable of the sower. Jesus is teaching, uh, and he's using a parable to show people what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man sowing seed. And back then, a man sowing seed was that they just had these big pouches with seed that they would literally just grab and just walking, throwing seed. And he says, some of the seed falls on the path, but the birds come and eat up the seed and steal it away. Some of the seed falls on the rocky soil, and it springs up quickly, but because it has no roots, when the sun comes out, it's scorched and died. Then some goes in the thorny soil, and as it grows up, the thorns are growing up with it, and they choke it out. And some of the seed falls on the good soil, grows to produce a crop 30, 60, 100-fold what was sown. And Jesus then tells it a second time to his disciples. The first time is to this big crowd, and the second time just with his disciples. But at that point, he tells it, and he gives its meaning. He, he kind of takes away some of the mystery, some of the intrigue around it, and he goes, let me be plain with you, his disciples. Here's what this parable means. And he lays that out for them. Uh, if you... If you want to hear more about that, you can go back and listen to last week's message. So there's this two tellings of the parable of the sower. Same parable, just one is kind of more vague and, and, and mysterious. The other is more clear and to the point to two different audiences. But there's three verses in the middle that change it, that cause Jesus to pivot the way that he presents the parable. And that's where we're going to focus today. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 10 to 12 so Jesus gives the parable the first time in this kind of mysterious way and basically leaves everyone scratching their heads, even the disciples. And then in verse 10, when he was alone with the 12, those who were around him asked him about the parables. He answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may look and look yet not perceive. They may listen and listen yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. He, he says a few verses later uh, in Mark 4, 33 to 34, talking about how he would present truth to the crowd. And it says, he would speak the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he would explain everything to his own disciples. And so you have Jesus teaching these parables, these stories, these illustrations that are kind of confusing. 
that aren't incredibly clear. Even his own disciples have to come to him and go, we're trying, but what are you talking about? We're, we're missing it. We're not getting it. And Jesus gives them some reasoning behind it that we're going to look at, but it says that he continued on. He would only speak to this crowd using parables. So why was Jesus using parables? What is the purpose of parables? They're all throughout Jesus' ministry. All of the Gospels contain many different parables. And there are always these stories, these illustrations, these kind of real-life, everyday examples where Jesus is going, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And it left a lot of people scratching their heads. What was the purpose of parables? In Matthew's telling of this same story, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. The disciples come up, scratching their heads, and they, he asks a little bit of a different question in that account. He says, why are you using parables? That's what the disciples asked Jesus. Not what's the meaning of that parable, but why are you using parables? They didn't understand. Jesus, this doesn't seem like, like the best way to communicate. People seem confused. And Jesus didn't go, oh, are they? I hadn't thought about that. He said, yeah, I know. But he, he gives a reason why he chooses to use this kind. And it's going to be helpful for us because as we work through the Gospels, if you've ever read through the Gospels before, again, parables are everywhere. And to miss them, to miss the reason why Jesus was using them, is to miss a massive chunk of Jesus' ministry. We have to understand the reasoning behind parables and as we do, it'll give us the secrets to kind of help unlock parables. Does that make sense? Have you guys, maybe it's just me, have you guys ever been confused reading a parable? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like, and you went, it's somehow now more mysterious than it was before you said that. In some ways, I would have been better off if you just didn't say anything. But Jesus was very intentional about all of it. There was a reason that he used parables we're going to look at three reasons, a threefold purpose behind parables, why Jesus chose to, uh, to communicate in this way. The first one, and it's the one that we typically go to the most, the first reason, the first purpose is teaching. Jesus was trying to reveal truth. He was trying to illustrate, here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Let me help you understand this more. He was teaching through his parables but it's not how we tend to understand teaching. In fact, and th this is hard to hear, this almost sounds heretical, so you can come talk to me afterwards. I would say this is the least important purpose behind Jesus using parables, to teach. The way that we tend to think about teaching. The way that we think about teaching is the dissemination of information. Big words, they happen to rhyme, that's kind of why I like it. But it really means me telling you what you need to know. Me giving you information. Okay? Most of the teaching that we have, certainly in our culture here today, is this. It's lecturing. You guys sit and listen, and I'll stand up here. I will tell you the facts you need to know. Write them down, because they'll be on the test. And it's about putting information into your brain. This is how we have been taught to approach teaching. This is not how Jesus approached teaching. He was not going, if I can just get them to memorize this rule, if I can just get them to memorize this principle, they'll be fine. This is not how Jesus approached advancing the kingdom. Are there truths and principles in parables? Absolutely, 100%, yes. 
But just getting us to memorize some rules, some laws, some principles is not the purpose of Jesus' teaching, is not the purpose of him using parables. Think about it. If that is his purpose, that we just need to know these facts, we just need to understand this theology, he picked a really bad way to communicate it. Like, if that's his purpose, is just that we would memorize these things and we would know this new law, he's a bad teacher. He's super confusing, and he knows it, and he continues on with it anyway. I don't think Jesus is a bad teacher, which forces me to go, then his main goal must not have been, you must memorize this principle. Now, again, I'm not trying to minimize. I'm not trying to say, so therefore there's nothing that we can learn from Jesus' stories. Obviously there is. In Mark chapter 4, verse 10 again, when he was alone with the 12, those who were around him asked him about the parables. And he answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything comes in parables. He's telling them, look, in these teachings, there's secrets to the kingdom of God. There is truth here. There, there are things that will help you move in the kingdom of God in these parables. They are teaching vessels, just not how we tend to think of it. There is information, there is truth, there is principles that will benefit you, that will move you forward in the kingdom. Like, this is a facet, but it's not the most important one, and we struggle with that. Because most of us, if we're really honest, we go, yes, Jesus died on the cross, and we're going to celebrate Christmas. Jesus came to earth but when we really think about Jesus, we think he was a good teacher. And if I could just understand his teachings more, if I could just learn more, if I could just stuff more information into my brain, I'd be a better Christian. And that's not how Jesus approached advancing the kingdom. You got masks, and all I can see is eyebrows. I need something here. Is this making sense? Because I can keep going. Teaching is definitely a piece of it. I, I don't want to minimize but it's not the most important, not the way that we view it. See, the way that we view teaching oftentimes, think about the typical sermon, think about your time in school, is know this and follow these three steps. Memorize this and do these two things. That's how we tend to come away. Give me the practical. I don't really want to have to think about it. Just give me something to memorize Tell me what my next step is and let me go on my way. And this is not how Jesus approached it. This is not the point of parables. At times it actually seems like Jesus was intentionally making things more difficult. He could have gotten the point of the parable of the sower across about the whole idea of being good soil if all it was was, hey, quit worrying about life and focus your eyes on God. He could have said that in a much more clear way if all we had to do is just memorize that. But he almost seems to intentionally make it more difficult to understand, which means, again, that teaching, just getting information out there, cannot be the most important point. The, the second purpose behind it, and again, it goes with teaching, but the purpose of a parable is to spark a response in the listener. The purpose of the parable was to kind of grab something inside and pull people along. It was to spark curiosity. At times, it was to spark even outrage or frustration. Some of the parables that Jesus would teach, like, for instance, the parable of the Good Samaritan, to say that a Samaritan is the hero 
and that a, a, a Levite and a priest were actually the bad guys, what, like that would have sparked outrage in the hearers because the Samaritans were dogs. They were, it would have been like me telling you a story where the atheist is the hero and the Christians didn't do what they were supposed to. We would go, whoa, 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 you got it wrong. What are you doing? It, it, it sparked something inside of people to move them forward. And we're going to talk about toward what here in a minute. But it was about moving people somewhere from the inside, not just giving head knowledge, but actually grabbing the heart and moving it forward. Uh, uh, let's, let's be honest. A parable has more in common with a joke than it does a sermon. When Jesus would tell these parables, it wasn't like sermons, again, where memorize this, take this step, do this, here's the practical application, do this this week. This was not how Jesus approached it through parables. It had more to do with a joke. There was a setup and there was a punchline. He would tell a story, but it always had a twist at the end that caused people to respond. Think about it. Every joke causes a response. Let me put it. Every understood joke causes a response. Might be laughter. Might be groaning. You know, have you ever told the joke and you just get the, oh. Every dad in here had better be shaking their heads. Your kids have given you that response if you've ever told a joke. They get some kind of response, positive or negative. But you have to understand the reference points. Kim and I have been watching uh, a show lately that takes place over in England. And there's some things that you can tell they think are funny, but like they make a joke about the queen, and I'm like, that means nothing to me. I don't think I could pick her out of a lineup of old ladies. Like, I don't know anything about the royal family. Those jokes just miss. But you can tell other people are like, they get it, they get the references, and they're like, clever, it's good. Part of the, one in the show, part of the thing they do is it's an American guy who goes over to London, and he keeps making references and jokes that just miss. They have no clue, they don't use that turn of phrase, they don't whatever, and it misses. I think it's hilarious, but they do not get it because they don't understand the reference points. And, and parables can be very similar. Think about most of the parables that Jesus would talk about. They had to do with farming. They had to do with going to the temple. They had to do with relating to family. Things that the average Jewish listener was very familiar with. Things that we in the 21st century are not familiar with. One of the reasons that parables can be so difficult to grab a hold of is because most of us have never farmed a day in our life. Maybe we had a tiny 10 foot by 10 foot garden in the backyard and so we can kind of understand a little bit, but most of us have never sown a field. Some have, and honestly, you probably get these parables more readily. For the rest of us, we have to work at it. We have to understand that Jesus was trying to connect with this audience and spark a response in them by using everyday references. Problem is, in the 21st century, we don't get some of his jokes. We don't understand some of his references naturally. We have to work at it a little more. We have to ask this question, and honestly, this is an incredible question to ask of all scripture but especially when it comes to parables, learning to ask the question, what would the original audience have heard or thought? Again, we hear, so the guy's out throwing seed, and we're like, okay, cool, what? To the original audience, they would have been like, I did that yesterday. 
That's actually what I do for a living. Like, this would have caught them. This would have drawn them in because this was their actual life. This was every day for them. And they would have been drawn in by it. But to us, it can seem foreign. So to learn when reading a parable to go, okay, Jesus was trying to to grab hold of them. He was trying to spark a response from them. Let me stop and ask, what would they have heard? We tend, to, we tend to ask, what do I get out of this? And that's the wrong way to approach Scripture. Because understand this, Scripture is God's love letter to you, right? Yes. But when Mark penned it, he wasn't thinking of you. He had a particular audience in mind. When Jesus created the parable of the sower, he wasn't thinking about you. He was thinking about the people in that crowd. We have the incredible privilege of getting to be flies on the wall and hear what was taught. But the problem is we have to take off our 21st century lenses and put on first century Jewish lenses if we're really going to understand, if we're really going to be, be able to have a, a reaction to what Jesus is teaching. Is this making sense once again? Okay. So let's, let's take a look. Let's take a look at the parable of the sower. We looked at it last week. Let's think, what might this have sparked in the people that were listening? What kind of response would they have naturally had? So let's look. There was probably a lot of farmers that were in the crowd. And as a farmer, they would have understood the frustration with the first three soils. As Jesus is sharing this, just throwing seed, and they go, oh, man, anytime seed lands on the path, I know I just wasted a fistful of seed. It doesn't grow there. It's going to get trampled. The ground is too hard. The birds are going to come eat it. Oh, I hate when that happens. And he gets on to the next one, and they talk about the rocky soil. And the farmers there are going to go, I've been tricked by the same thing. You see it spring up, and you, you kind of get that hope, and then it withers. You see it scorched and die, and, man, your stomach drops. That's, that's your livelihood. That's what you do. And we've all been tricked. And they would have gone, man, this, this sower that he's talking about isn't very good. You've got to go through and get the rocks out first. You can't, you can't sow seed on rocky soil. You're wasting time and money. They would have heard about the thorns, and they would have thought about those times that they've walked out, and they thought they had good growth, and they start to see the thistles coming up between, and they know that is going to choke out my livelihood. I have been working so hard to grow this plant, and these thorns are going to kill it. And they would have thought of the work involved, going between the plants and pulling out the thorns and the thistles so that what was sown can grow. And they also would have thought of the joy and the celebration of the good soil. Again, this is what they did. This is how they lived. This is how they made their money. This is how they fed their families. When they saw a good crop coming up, it wasn't guaranteed. Listen, we have fertilizers and irrigation and all this stuff to kind of help guarantee good crops. And we can build big greenhouses and we can genetically modify plants. They couldn't. They legitimately woke up every day going, man, I hope it was good soil. And when they began to see this crop grow up, and they had food, they had seed to plant next year, they had grain to be able to sell and make a living through the winter, like all of these things, there would have been immense joy and celebration. There was entire feasts set aside by the whole nation to celebrate the harvest and to give thanks to God because they understood, man, we were one rainstorm away from this all going away. 
Like we were one windstorm away from all these bad seeds and weeds being blown into our fields and all of this would go away. And there was such joy. Those farmers would have heard Jesus and those that were truly listening might have gone, you know, I don't know exactly what he's talking about, but man, I want to be the good soil. Whatever that means. I don't want to be choked out and scorched. I don't want to be hard. I want to be the good soil. No idea what it means to be the good soil, but out of the four, that's what I want. The crowds that were listening, maybe they're not farmers. Maybe some of these guys were merchants or uh, like Jesus, they were carpenters and they built with their hands and they've done some farming, but it's not like who they are. Maybe they didn't get all of those references, but what they would have understood was going, you know, it sounds like what this guy is saying. I get he's talking about his ministry in the kingdom. Three out of every four of us, if he's right, aren't going to be here in a week or a month or a year. Again, I don't fully know what he's saying here, but it kind of sounds like only one out of the four makes it. And you start looking around and going, are they going to make it? Am I going to make it? Am I going to be one of the three that dies off? Or am I going to be one of the four? Whatever that means, hmm. And it would have sparked this curiosity. It would have sparked this longing, this hunger of like, I got to know more. Because I don't understand what he's saying, but what I do know is I don't want to be scorched and choked out and die. And it would have sparked a response in them. For the disciples who were there listening, who were already following Jesus, and then Jesus actually comes and gives them the parables in just plain speech. They would have responded, like Jesus was telling them this, your job, like mine, is to sow seed. Don't be discouraged by the bad soil because the good soil is worth it. They would have been hearing Jesus teach and they would have gone, we've seen people walk away. We've seen hardened hearts. We've seen those that we thought were with us. And then a week later, where did they go? We've seen this happening. But Jesus is right. The good soil is worth it. We have to keep pressing on no matter how many leave because the good soil is worth it. Let's keep sowing, brothers. You can see the 12 just sitting there. Jesus explains it and them going, yeah. Let's be about the Father's business. Let's keep sowing like Jesus is sowing. It sparked a response in them. The third purpose of a parable, first is teaching. Second is to spark a response. The third is to draw the hungry in. Those that are hungry would find a feast in the parables. Mark, back to Mark chapter 4, verse 11 to 12 They say, Jesus, what is up with the parables? We don't understand them. And he he said, he answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may look and look, yet not perceive. They may listen and listen, yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. If you're paying attention, that's actually super harsh, what Jesus says. I'm putting this in parables intentionally so that people can't understand what I'm saying. I want for people to be able to hear my words, but not understand them, not perceive them. I'm intentionally putting this in a way where it's easy to walk away from. That is a harsh thing. We hear that and, man, I I have a response. That sparks something in me. I go, Jesus, whoa, that does not sound loving or kind. 
it sounds like you're not giving everyone an opportunity. You're teaching in a way that intentionally makes it hard to understand. And he's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 6 there. Uh, most of us know the first part of Isaiah 6, where, where God touches Isaiah's lips and makes him clean. And then he says, now who shall I send forth? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And then the very next verses are these, where God tells Isaiah, I'm sending you to a people that have calloused their hearts. You're going to go teach them. You're going to prophesy. You're going you're to present lessons. You're going to try to draw them back, but they're not going to listen. Their hearts are hard. They're going to be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever listening, but never hearing. In, in Matthew 13, again, the, the, the parallel story to this same thing, here's how Matthew records it. For this reason, I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see and hearing they do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, you will listen and listen, yet never understand. You will look and look, yet never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see and turn back, and I would cure them. And then Jesus says to his disciples, but your eyes are blessed because they do see, and your ears because they do hear. Just like, again, what he's quoting in Isaiah, God is going, or Jesus is saying, look, these people, most of them, the religious community, most of Israel has chosen to harden their hearts. They've already chosen their way of life. And no matter what I do, no matter what I say, they will not turn. And so I'm going to let them go their own way. If they've chosen to harden their hearts, I'm going to let them walk in that. And listen, even to their own destruction. For those that have already chosen, maybe in Jesus' day, look, I'm just here for the meal. He fed some people before and I want to eat. I'm just here to see the miracles and the cool show. But they've already decided, my, my way of life is set. I like the way that life is and I'm not changing. Jesus said, I'm not even going to give them the opportunity I'm going to share kingdom truths in a way that allow them to be ever seeing and never perceiving. Jesus intentionally put things in a way where their calloused hearts could dismiss it and move on. Those that had already decided, I don't know about this guy, I don't think I like him, but like, let's just see what's happening, which was most of the crowd. Jesus said, I'm going to put things in a way that's easy for them to blow off. He's talking about throwing seeds into dirt I got to get back to work. I got to get back to my family. I don't have time for this. And it was easy to dismiss. Those that had no real interest in following him in the first place, they were, always, they were only intending to ever be a part of the crowd. He made easy for them to walk away. But for those who were hungry, for those who had ears to hear, they would investigate these mysteries. They would hear Jesus share about this parable. It would spark something inside of them, and they would go, I have to understand the truths there, and they would be drawn toward Jesus. They, they would talk about it on their walk home. They didn't have cars. It took a while to get back home, and they would discuss these things, and they would go, what do you think he meant by the rocky soil? 
I, I want to be the good soil, but I don't even know what that means. What do you, and they would begin to chew on these things and to pray about these things. They would begin to draw close to Jesus. Look at his disciples' response. They came up and they went, man, Jesus, you're killing it. But we don't know what you're saying. This parable's even caused his own disciples to lean closer and go, will you tell us? I know there's something there. I'm hungry for what's in here. And I'm also aware that I see it, but don't perceive it. Help me. Help me understand it. The parables were a way of drawing people in toward Jesus that just giving some rules and principles and plain speech could never do. That would allow people to wear a mask, to be able to quote Jesus later when they got home and feel good about themselves on their way to hell. Instead, he put it in a way that, that caused those that were hungry, those that hadn't calloused their heart, to lean in, to seek him. Do you remember the promise I talked about earlier from Jeremiah 29, 13? When you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jesus was intentionally offering mysteries that had to be puzzled out, that had to be chewed on and sought through because in the seeking, people would find him. Paul talks about uh, this in 1 Corinthians 2. We're not going to look at it now. You can read it later yourself. It's pretty much the whole chapter. Paul's talking about the time that he came to Corinth for the first time. And, and one of the most famous passages is uh, chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstrations of the Spirit's power. But he goes on to explain that, and he goes, I chose not to be eloquent with my words, not to give profound speeches, he said, because I decided it was best to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. I didn't want you getting lost in this theology that I could present. I wanted you falling in love with Jesus. And so he says, I presented to you mysteries of the gospel that could only be understand, understood excuse me, by the man with a spiritual mind. I intentionally presented you mysteries that caused you to seek out the Holy Spirit to understand. I chose not to give wise and persuasive speeches and deep theology because I wanted you to know Jesus and Jesus alone. He then does say, then once you were mature, I moved from milk and started giving you meat. And he did bring theology and there is depth there. But he says, I didn't want you to miss that at first because you just wanted to be smart. I wanted you to fall in love with Jesus and Jesus alone. So I chose to use mystery because it sparks curiosity, because it drew you in to go, I don't know what he means, but I have to know this Jesus. And it's the same method that Jesus was using. I think of Luke 24, verse 32, uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, there's a couple of disciples uh, who are walking out of Jerusalem and Jesus comes and walks with them but he doesn't let them know who he is. He chooses to remain mysterious to them, to go, hey, so tell me, what's, what's been happening here, guys? He kind of plays dumb with them. What's been going on? How come Jerusalem's in such an uproar? And they go, sir, don't you understand what's happened here? They killed Jesus. Like, how, did you, how have you not heard? Did you grow up under a rock? And so Jesus begins to walk with them and talk with them and subtly explain the scriptures to them and one of my favorite passages in Luke 24, 32, where the men are talking after Jesus reveals himself. 
And he goes away and they say, didn't our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us? They didn't say, man, now I just have a way deeper theology than I did before. Jesus approached them in such a way, in such a mysterious way, to get this response from them that their hearts were burning within them and they were going, we have to spend more time with this man. We have to get closer to this man. And so they invited him in to eat with them and this relationship was built because they were drawn in, not because the teaching was so compelling, but because the way that Jesus went about it drew them close to him. And they learned praise Jesus, not oh good, we think rightly at the end of it. And didn't our hearts burn within us when this man was with us. Jesus presented kingdom truths in a way that you had to seek deeper to understand. You had to be hungry for more. And listen, this is a hard truth. If you weren't hungry, you were allowed to starve. Jesus wasn't spoon feeding anyone. He went, either you have a soft heart that will respond to the kingdom truths, or you have a hard heart and I'm going to let you walk away. And that's a hard teaching. That's not the Jesus that that we tend to teach about or put up on a pedestal. He doesn't have a little lamb on his shoulders, loves everyone and will chase after. No, 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 don't go away, don't go away. He would put it in a way that went, if your heart is too callous to hear it, goodbye. That's hard for us. But Jesus understood that the Jews were masters at memorizing information and rules and laws without ever having their hearts changed by it. And he knew that it was foolishness to give them more of the same. What he would get was callous-hearted people who called themselves Jesus followers, and he was not into that. I want those that are willing to seek deeper truth. Those that are willing to put in the time and the effort. Those that hunger for more, those are the ones that will follow me. Those that are in it just to get something quick and easy, this is not for them. Parables were meant to teach in a different way, to spark a response and to draw the hungry in. It was an incredibly powerful tool that Jesus used, and it wasn't always about, or certainly not primarily about, you have to understand this thing. It was about the seeking that it inspired in us. Does this make sense? Okay, so let's try a couple. There's a few very short parables uh, that come right after this story in Mark chapter 4. Let's practice together. I'll do the first one, and then we'll enter into an all-skate where everyone can share. How many of you have never been to a roller rink? Real quick. That might be a missed reference like we were talking about earlier. First of all, I pity you if you didn't grow up roller skating. But there was this thing called, there was couple skates where if you didn't come with someone, you had to kind of wait outside because this is their time. But during an all-skate, everybody came in. You were horrible at it. You were, you've been doing it for 20 years, and you could do the whole skate backwards thing, which I could not. I was always a little jealous of those. I'll do the first one to kind of to give an example, and then I'm just going to read the parables, and we're just going to talk. I'll give you some questions to look at, uh, some, some questions to answer. What truth is Jesus trying to communicate? What response does this spark? What does this kind of wake up inside of me? And how does this draw us closer to him? Every parable was meant to be a baited hook out there to catch us and kind of draw us in. How does this parable draw me closer to him? So let me start with the first one. Mark chapter 4, 21 to 25. 
He also said to them, coming right after him, explaining the parable of the sower to his disciples, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is concealed except to be revealed, and nothing is hidden except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. Then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use it, it will be measured and added to you. For to the one who has, it will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. One of the keys to a parable, to understanding a parable, is using what's called a sanctified imagination. Is to actually close your eyes and imagine the story that Jesus is talking about. They can't, we're a scientific culture. They didn't have it back then. They were a storytelling culture. And so when Jesus would share these, they would literally picture the whole thing and imagine themselves there. And, and this is the kind of practice that we need to be in to imagine ourselves there. So I want you to close your eyes and imagine this simple picture that Jesus gives in this parable. He said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or a bed? So I want you to picture you're walking into a dark house you light a lamp, and these lamps were, think of like the genie's lamp from the, the movie Aladdin. They light that lamp, starts to light the house, and then they put it under a bowl. And the house is plunged back into darkness. They light that lamp, and then they shove it under their bed. First of all, fire hazard. Second of all, bad way to light a room. Jesus is telling them, just as ridiculous as it is, to light a lamp and then cover it up. That's how ridiculous it is to keep the light that God has put in you from the world around you. He, he goes on to say, the measure at which you use what you've heard will be measured and used against you. If you are taking the truth that God is giving you and hiding it for yourself under a bowl, under a bed, it doesn't go well. It's ridiculous. It's a preposterous way to use what God has given you. It's just as stupid as lighting a lamp and putting it under a bowl. And this piece, for me, sparks something. There's that call to action, but then Jesus says this. For the one who has, it will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. See, that sparks something to me because I hear that and I go, Jesus, that's not fair. The one who has gets more, and the one who doesn't have, even what little he has, gets taken away. That seems too extreme. What that sparks in me is I go, Jesus, I'm not comfortable with that. And that's the whole point. Jesus is using this parable to go, there's no halfway. There is no one foot in each world. You are bad soil that gets choked out, scorched, and dies, or you're good soil and you produce fruit. You're a lamp on a lampstand giving light, or you're a lamp under a bowl. There is no half way. And now it forces me to wrestle with Jesus and go, Jesus, where are the places that I'm only given halfway? Where are the places where I'm not even there? I'm, I'm fully under a bowl hiding my light. I don't want it to be taken from me. I don't want to miss out on what you're doing. And it draws me in. Jesus, what needs to change? Will you lead me in change? I want to be all in for you. And the parable draws me into deeper relationship with him, not just knowledge about him. Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm going to read the next parable, and then we're just going to ask those three questions and see what we come up with. 
So the next parable, the kingdom of God is like this. So Jesus is illustrating the kingdom of God. Close your eyes and try to picture this as I read it, and then we'll hear what you think. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises, night and day, and the seed sprouts, or excuse me, sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the ripe grain on the head. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Everybody got that picture in your head? All right, Chris, can you put those three questions back up? What truth is he trying to communicate? What response does this spark? And how does it draw us closer to him? Chris, I'm asking you to go ahead and put that passage back up in case people need to read it again. This is your time. You don't have to raise a hand. You can just go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even I think the first part of what you said just resonates with me of going like Jesus was telling me, like, look, this takes time there. there, It's not we struggle with this today. You don't plant the seed and tomorrow go reap the harvest. This was months later that this would happen. And they had to wait on it. And there was exciting times in it. And there was boring times in it. And there was dry times in it. There was times where they were nervous and didn't know, is the harvest ever going to come? But they had to wait it out, trusting in the Lord for it. And that's a really difficult piece for us. What else? What does this teach us? What is this spark? How does it draw us closer to him? It reminds us of our complete and utter dependence on him to do the work. 
Paul talks about this. We, we looked at it real briefly last week in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, Who's, who is Apollos, another guy who was there teaching and growing the church? Who is Paul? He says, we, we plant some seed. We might water some seed. But he says, only God can make it grow. None of this is our work. It's, it's the Lord's. And we need to continually lay it down and entrust him with that work. It's good. What else? Sure. But God does give you those clues, those, if you're looking for it, he's working, he's working, he's working. Yeah, that's very good. Anything else? See, parables are not something to be just read through real quick and moved on. It, does, it takes time to go, Lord, what, what is this? How, how, how did you mean this to be taken? What, how does this draw me closer to you? This takes some time. Let's look at the next one. And he said, how can we illustrate the kingdom of God? And what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown in the soil is smaller than all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the vegetables and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He tells you at the beginning, I'm illustrating what the kingdom of God is like. And then he talks about this mustard seed. Back then, it was the smallest known seed to mankind. Now we found some smaller ones. But back then, the smallest one. But he goes, man, look at what this grows. What does it teach us? What does it spark in us? How does it draw us closer to him? In case you couldn't hear David, sometimes it feels like what God is calling you to do might be so small, might be so insignificant. It might have that why bother attached to it. But God can work those seemingly insignificant things to become great things in the kingdom. Absolutely. There's often more than one way even to look at a parable or to to interpret a parable. What else might there be? Yeah, two, two completely different ways to look at this parable, both really meaningful. One might be, like David said, of going, man, this, this step seems so small and insignificant. What fruit could it ever bear? The other may be where God's going, I want you to do this big thing, and you're going, but I don't know if I can. This is all the faith. This is all the strength that I have. How could it ever do that? Imagine looking at a, at a mustard seed about that big. You can't even see what I'm doing with my hand. And saying, hey, in a couple years, I want you to hold a bird up off the ground. Mustard seed is going to go, yeah, right. Funny joke. But God can take our seemingly insignificant faith and obedience 
and turn it into incredible things that bless other people. What else? Yeah, it's, it's a parable against hopelessness. Looking at the hopelessness of a situation, whether that's uh, unjust systems in the world. I mean, Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities and authorities in the heavenly realms. And I go, Paul, that's too big. Whether that's against my own un, or like unforgiveness in life, which feels huge and all-consuming, and going, but how does loving that person, how does praying for that person how does my insignificant little faith ever transform anything in the world? God, it's too small. It's too insignificant. And he goes, man, this is how the kingdom works. I take your truly insignificant little amount of faith and I miraculously work it to become a tree. And this draws us in because quickly we realize, man, if you don't do this work, I, I have nothing. I'm still a seed and it's impossible for me to change anything. Okay, so just a couple examples, hopefully to spark some things as you're reading later. Parables are not things just to be read on and go, oh, I've heard that one before. I know what that means. Every parable is an opportunity to stop and go, Lord, what is it you're trying to say? What is it you're trying to bring out in me? And how does it draw me closer to you? So let me finish with this question. And again, I would, I would love feedback. So what do we do when we don't understand a parable? Or and the principle is the same for any biblical teaching. What do we do when we don't understand? You ever, you ever read that parable and just been like, I have no idea. Tim, I didn't mean to cut you off there, buddy. I, you know what I mean? Like you read it and you maybe even sat there for a minute and went, nope, nothing. What do we do, Tim? Okay. Pray and meditate. Remember, the point of a parable is not to come away with the right answer, though that certainly does move things along, but is to be drawn close to him. What else? I think that sometimes when I'm reading a parable, I'm like, I'm not sure what I'm reading. 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 Like, I
Yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, we, we know for a fact that the disciples didn't understand a lot of it. I mean, how many times did Jesus look and go, you guys still don't get it? You know what I mean? Like, he, he kept doing it because, again, what it did was it, it drew them further along. That was the point. Uh, whether, whether it's prophecy or whatever it was, wasn't, okay, so now we can mark on a calendar and know that on this date exactly. It was going, God is saying this is where things are heading, and we begin to see our need for him in the midst of that. And it was to draw us into him. So what do we do when we don't understand those things? Pray and meditate on it. Uh, Just keeping it in front of us over the next days and weeks and seeing what else the Lord might bring along. What else do we do? (laughs) Okay. Here's the thing. What, like, that's where most of us go. Like, man, I'm going to go find somebody who's been doing this longer than me. You tell me, what does it mean? Okay. That's, That's a very natural response that we have. What else? And in that, I think it's a way that we wrestle through it. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, I never even understood the Jacob story, right? So it's a weird thing when you wrestle with God. It's just so weird. I don't know that you're supposed to do that. But it's very, but when, you know, someone else from a human perspective, like, the Holy Spirit, the Elena, it's like, it's such an intimate thing. Yeah. And I'll tell you, if you're the one being asked, which if you've been doing this for any length of time, you're further along than somebody, and hopefully they notice it and are coming to you and going, here's what I'm wrestling with. I read this. I don't know what to do with it. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a friend, whatever it may be. Don't give them the shortcut. Too often, again, we go back to what we think of teaching, and we go, oh, well, here's what that means. Boom, 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 boom. And we, we actually rob them of the ability to wrestle through it. The ability to learn to seek the Lord and to wait on the Lord. We give them that instant gratification because it makes them feel good and it makes us feel smart. But we actually rob them of opportunity to grow. We give them the teaching and leave out the rest. Ask questions. When when someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm reading this parable, I'm reading this teaching of Jesus or this thing that Paul says or the book of Revelation, I mean, whatever it may be, and I don't understand it. If you do, Don't give them the answer. 
ask them some questions to lead them along. Spend some time listening and praying with them. The point of all of this is to help draw people closer to the Lord. If you have the answer, like use it to get them on the right path. I'm not saying mislead people or anything, but the point is not them finding the answer in you. The point is them finding Jesus, and he will bring the answers. Does that make sense? Far too often we, we shortcut that. I'm guilty of that as much as anyone else. Let's allow people to wrestle, to be drawn in, to have to spend time with him going, I, they don't match up and I don't understand it and what I think and what you say and oh, I don't know what to do. That is the healthiest place that we can be even though it feels terrible in the moment. All of us know on the other side of that, I am better for it. Let's not rob other people of it. How many of you have ever read something you didn't understand and just gone, I don't have it in me. Turn the page and just keep going. I don't understand it, but I've never been to seminary, so maybe this one's just not for me. And we move on. Again, we're robbing ourselves of the opportunity. I, there are some parables that I still don't understand, and I've been studying for a long time, and I may never understand, but every time I come to them, I spend time wrestling. Lord, if there's something you want to show me through this, if there's something that I'm just missing, I want to find you in it. And I put the work in, I put the time in. Even if I don't come away with the quote-unquote answer, those opportunities draw me close to him. May we not miss those. Let me pray, and then I'm going to invite the music team to come up, and we'll close with a song. Lord Jesus, truly we want to find you. You are found in the seeking, not in the right answers. May we be diligent, like Kim was sharing uh, with Jacob, to wrestle with you. I will not let go until you bless me. God, may we be like the disciples and, and draw in and go, Jesus, we want to understand. We want to be closer to you not like the crowd who said that's too hard and walked away. Lord, if there are places where our hearts are calloused, may you put your finger on them. May you draw us back. God, if there are, are places where we're scared to wrestle because we're scared of what it might mean, would you give us boldness and courage? In the end, Lord Jesus, may we be found closer to you and more like you. As we come to your word, as we have discussions with each other, may we encourage the wrestling because you're found in it. Move in us, we pray in Jesus' name.